And so um, we're also kicking off a new message series. And so the title of our message series is titled A Matter of Life and Death. And I'm really excited to get into this. And so we'll be looking at this here for the rest of the month or so, maybe a little bit into February. And um, we have two central passages. And so I'm going to read those to you. And yes, we will be giving away gift cards the next two weeks if you memorize them. So if you want to take out your phones and take a picture or they're also in your notes. But here goes the first passage. The first one is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. And so memorize these. Even if you don't want the gift card, memorize it. Okay, here's the first one. Whoever has the Son, meaning Jesus, see the capital S? That means Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Amen? 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. This is my challenge for you. Memorize. Here's the second one, all right? Here's the second one. It's a little bit longer, but you can do this, okay? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And then Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You can do this. So there's the challenge. Pastor has laid out the challenge. It's yours. Receive it. Own it. You got this. So the next two Sundays, um, we're going to uh, give away gift cards to whoever memorizes both. Got to memorize both. It can't be one, one Sunday, one, the other Sunday, both at the same time. And this also applies to your kids. If you want your kids to do it, I'll give them a gift card too. If it's just you, that's you. That's all right. Let's have some fun with the word of God. Amen? All right. There you go. Um, with that being said, uh, let's take a moment to pray and we'll jump into uh, part one. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather in your house. And as we get ready to dive into your word, Lord, I just pray that you would illuminate the scriptures. You would bring it alive in such a way, God, that we have, we practically understand the details. And we also, you minister to our spirits and our souls. God, I pray, God, that um, you would touch hearts and lives, God. And we would come away and say, you know what? I needed that. That makes sense. It, it put all the pieces together. God, we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. And so as we get started here, has anyone here ever had a near-death experience? Right? Maybe some of you, some of you are like, no, I've never had that type of situation. I, you know, I've had a few, interesting enough. Uh, the Lord has seen me through some things where I'm like, how? Um, and, and I remember one in particular, I was driving, um, highway five and I put a little picture of highway five just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea, but I was driving highway five. It was a nighttime. It was rainy and I was driving this little red convertible. I had Mitsubishi red, uh, GT and it was low. And so it was raining. It was at night. And I was coming over, and I was coming over to the part of the, the highway where it was low, and then it was starting to get higher and was coming up to where it goes over, like the railroad yard going towards north, going that way. And so all of a sudden, my car hit a puddle. And it, being low, hit a puddle. It started to hydroplane. And as it's hydroplaning, all of a sudden, I'm spinning completely no control, zero control, and it's at nighttime, so my headlights are on. That means the other car's headlights are also on, and as I'm, I'm going like this and I'm spinning, I can see other cars 
going around me. They're trying to miss me. And I'm going, going, going. And I get up towards just, you know, past that bridge to the other side up there towards the right. And, and the car all of a sudden hits the shoulder, and, um, but facing the, the wrong direction. And I'm like, it go, I'm like, oh, no, we're going to go over like this, right? And I hit, and, and, it, and for some reason, from the Lord, and, and, and the car just bounces off of there instead of going over and starts going now back across the highway the other way. And again, cars are trying to miss me, and, and I'm going through all of this. I'm like, Lord, you know, <laughs> woo. <laughs> and so I'm, but I'm talking, we're having a serious time. <laughs> and so I come, and I hit the shoulder on the other side, and this time I'm, I'm, my car is like facing this way on, on right here, I'm further, further up, but facing sideways, covering the fast lane, okay? I'm sideways covering the fast lane, and as I'm there, all I can think to myself, my shoulder had been banged up from hitting the wall on the other side. I grab my keys, I grab my phone, and I get out of my car, and as I get out of my car, I see about, I don't know, maybe not a quarter, maybe an eighth of a mile down the road, there's somebody who's pulled over to the side and they're waving me down, come. And so I'm like, okay, I'm like just, I'm just like trying to get, up, get over there and I, and I get over there and, and, and I, I, you know, it's a lady and she says, well, I'm a nurse. And I'm like, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. And so she's checking me out. She's like, come, just, just uh, you know, um, you know, you know, how are you doing? She's asking me some questions and, and that. And they're all of a sudden she, she yells and says, get in the car, get in the car. We got to go. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, look, get in the car. And here comes a semi who comes and smashes through my car in the fast lane. And why was he in the fast lane? Okay. Okay. Smashes through my car in the fast lane. And then is like coming right towards us, but it's raining. It's night. You can't really stop with such short distance. He had a big trailer behind him. And he comes, and he comes, and comes right around. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And during that moment, I look in the back seat of her car. She has a Bible. And I'm like, Lord, this really is you. Thank you, you know, for, for saving me and seeing me through this, you know. But I think about near-death experiences. I think about life after death. And I think sometimes people have a lot of questions about what that looks like, about what those feelings are like, about what, what should I expect. A lot of people are afraid of death. And I think when you don't truly have Jesus, you, you can understand why. You know, I've met plenty of people on the verge of their, of their death and a lot of times they really don't want to go. That's the truth. They, they just, they, 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 they don't want to go. And in a lot of those cases, it's because they have more to lose than to gain. Now, there was some research done. And it was, it was centered around who is least afraid of death. And the study concluded that religious people are less afraid of death than non-religious people. Now, I don't always like the way that the word religious is, is thrown out there, but... In the study, what they were referring to is, is Christians, people who are Christ followers. Why? Because our hope is in Christ. See, our, our, our hope is in we, we have heaven, right? After we take our last breath, then we're going to experience life in its fullness. It's about to get good in, in that moment, right, as, as Christ followers. And it also stated that atheism provides comfort from death as well. Why? Because they don't believe in God or the devil, meaning they don't believe in heaven or hell. But there's no way that we can look at all of creation and say, no, there was not a designer. There was not a creator. There's, 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 there's no way, right? Atheism is, is foolishness. It's foolishness. 
because it takes more faith not to believe in God that he exists than it would if you simply believed in his love and mercy and grace and forgiveness for your life. But let's talk a little bit more about life after death. What is there to be scared of? What is life like after we take that last breath? You see, Jesus, Jesus teaches a parable that helps us understand the truth at this time. This is where our focus is going to be at today. It's in Luke chapter 16 and verses 19 through 31. If you have your Bible, you can open up to there. If you've got your message notes, you can follow along or here on the screen. We're going to take a look at this parable where Jesus is teaching the people. And it's, he's really trying to help us understand something that's, that's hugely important for everyone. And it says this. It begins this. He begins to tell this parable. It's a story here in verse 19. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, right? The purple signified, you know, royalty. And in fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Verse 20, at his gate, at whose gate? The rich man, right? At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores, right? So there's two men. There's a rich man and then there's Lazarus, who's, he's a poor man, he's a beggar, and he's, he's got sores on his body. One man had everything right. The other one had, well, he, he didn't really have anything. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him away to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, Abraham's side, what's that? You read the King James Version, it might mention Abraham's bosom. What, what, what is that? See, Jesus is giving a reference to paradise, to a place that the righteous in Christ will go after they take their last breath, meaning there's no more pain, meaning they don't, they don't have any suffering. And one day, church, Jesus will return for his bride, for his church, and, and, and we will be in heaven with him. And then, and then it says this. Look, I want to look at this a little bit. It says, verse 22, then the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him away to Abraham's side. Again, now who's Abraham? Some of you, I just, just in case... You know, Abraham is a Jewish spiritual patriarch, a, a, a spiritual father. And the Jewish people would have known Abraham's side, or, or again, Abraham's bosom, as a place of paradise, a place of rest. But I want you to notice as we look at that verse, uh, which is 22, is that came and died, uh, and the angels carried him away to Abraham's side. Now, the rich man also died and was buried. I, I want you to see something there in verse 22, because it says that the rich man he, 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 he was able to be afforded a burial. So he actually had a burial. And, and, then, and then from there he experienced what he's about to experience in verse 22. But the poor man, he, he doesn't have what, what, what is affordable to him in this life. He doesn't, the Bible doesn't say he has this burial. It does say that in that moment the, the, the angels come and carry him away. Let's look at verse 23. In Hades... Where he was, this is talking about the rich man. In Hades, this is a reference to hell. Where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. Again, Abraham is the spiritual patriarch of the Jewish faith. And so, saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Okay? Verse 24. So, he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. 
Okay, so we're seeing these two different places, right? We're seeing Hades, which is, which is hell, right? We see the description of that. And, and, then, and now we, we see Lazarus on one side, and we see this rich man on, on the other side, and, and what they lack is the ability to cross over from one side to the other. And, and, I, and I must make this clear. Listen, ever window shot before? You see something you like, but you can't get it? Come on, somebody. Oh, hey. Whoo, that would be nice. No, oh, uh, no. Okay. Sometimes it's not right now. Sometimes you just know, okay? But listen. This is what he's experienced. He's experiencing something. He also has knowledge that there's another place because if there's one place, then there's the other place. If there's hell, then there's heaven, right? If there's God, there's a devil. They can't just say, well, the God's real, but the devil's not. That, again, foolishness. So he's at this place of understanding, and he's saying, man, I wish I had that. Abraham, can you send Lazarus over here just to dip his finger to cool me down? Okay. And, and if anybody wants more of a description on hell, I put there on the bottom of your message notes. I also put up a slide. You see it right there? Yeah, okay. You guys are they're already ahead of me. Isaiah 66, 24, Mark 9, 48, and Revelation 20, verse. Take a picture if you want that and, and go and you want to just study some more, look at some more of that. Absolutely. Go, go you know, go, go ahead. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. I want to take a look at this here for a minute. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. Do you see that the, the good things that Abraham has experienced in all this region, they're attributed to him. Right? That, that's attributed. It's, 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 it was his. It says this, while Lazarus received bad things. Do you see right there bad things? Notice that the bad things in his life are not attributed to him. It doesn't say your bad things, meaning this. What he experienced in this life was not a result of his sin. It wasn't a result of his mistakes. It wasn't a result. He didn't earn it. In life, we will go through things. In life, we will endure things. Life will hit. Life got, life got that, mm, it's got that uppercut. We will face things in life. But it's not God beating you up. It's not what you've earned. It's not your, th this is not what, what Jesus is teaching here in this parable. The things that Lazarus faced were not attributed to him. It says this, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And I want you to see the difference, right? He's, he's at Lazarus is going through all of these things. He's dealing with all these things. He is a beggar at the rich man's gates. He's a beggar at the gates. He's got sores on his bodies. And he goes from that to be comforted, that to being blessed, that to being restored, that to being made whole, that to being in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Verse 26, and besides all this, between you, between us and you is a great chasm, right? A great divide. That means there's no crossing over from one to the other. It, it, it does not work that way. It is impossible. There is not a possibility to cross over from one side to the other has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from over there to us. There's, there is no way for this transition, for this crossing to take place. 
No ability to go from heaven to hell or from hell to heaven. The decisions we make here affects what you experience after your last breath. I want you to look at these last few verses and understand our mission is as a church. Verse 27 through 31. He said this. He answered, I beg you. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let them warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. That's what he tells them. Listen, I don't want them to experience what I'm dealing with right now. This is my new reality. I've taken my last breath. I'm now in a place that I wish I could be where you're at. But since I can't cross, at least you can warn my family. They're still breathing. They still have a chance to choose. See what it says. Verse 29. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Verse 31. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone arises from the dead. We, the church, we are the ones called to go and warn those. To talk to them before they take their last breath. That's us. If you are a Christ follower, if you've made a decision to, 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 to be a Christian, to follow Christ, this is our mission. And it's a matter of life and death. Now the rich man had everything. The poor man had nothing. They both die. One went to hell, one went to heaven. Was it because of their bank account? Absolutely not. Jesus is teaching us something here. Heaven and hell. It's a matter of life and death. Now, a lot of people don't like to think of this truth or this reality, but there's no mistaking it. This is the truth of God's word. And if you're listening to this right now, the question is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Let me say it this way. There is a world with a first-class ticket, luggages packed, going to hell, and they don't even know where they're going. They don't know. Now, there might be some people that know. But most of them, they, they don't know. Imagine you're heading somewhere and you don't know where you're going. I know some people like surprises, but they ain't going to like this one. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to recognize coworkers, neighbors, family members, friends? So why do they need Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? Well, here's the easy answer. The easy answer is this. Because he is the only way to heaven. He's the only way. You see, in John chapter 14 and in verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. There is absolutely no other way. Recently, I spoke with a brother on his, uh, uh, with, a, with a man on his deathbed, and he was excited for me to be there, and, and we mostly talked, and, and, uh, or we talked, and I mostly heard him out. And as we got further into the discussion, the most powerful moment happened. 
But this brother, let me tell you this, this brother is now with Jesus. But he's talking to me, and he's sharing with me that he says, Pastor, I believe in Jesus, but can't you just pick any one of them and be good at it? And I said, you ever see that bumper sticker that says coexist? And he says, yeah. And I said, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because you cannot believe in Jesus and listen to what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a contradiction. You can't say, well, all of these are good. Pick one. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And then Jesus says the opposite. Right? This, this, this was the most, this was the practical knowledge that the Holy Spirit gave me to, to speak to him in this moment. Jesus says there's only one way. The rest of it is lies from Satan. So that one day you stand in Hades and hell and can't cross over. There's only one way. There's only one way. We need Jesus. They need Jesus. I'm going to tell you more a story about that, the brother that I'm talking about right now in just a little bit. I want to take a deeper look into the Old Testament, and as I think as Christians, we need to have a deeper appreciation and a focus for the Old Testament. Jesus grew up on the Old Testament. Jesus believed in the Old Testament. Jesus preached from the Old Testament. The disciples preached from the Old Testament. So please, don't let anyone tell you, just focus on the New Testament, just ignore the Old Testament, because that's wrong. Just, because there's people out there. There's, there's people out there that, that try to say that. Well, it's a YouTube video or real or something. If Jesus believed in it and preached from it, then it should be important to us. So in the Old Testament, people sinned, right? We all sin. They sinned then, we sin now. And God required a specific type of atonement for their sin every time. All of this, again, at this point is what I'm about to tell you right now. All of this is before Jesus came and paid the price for our sins. And so we're going to look here at Leviticus chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. And it says this, then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally, someone say unintentionally, right? Because we could also sin intentionally. Unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands. And then right there in verse 3, all the way to where I'm about to go in the next and through uh, 27, 28, through, through the rest of the chapter, he begins the different type of people. But we're going to jump over to verse 27 and 28 because that's where it applies specifically to us. Verse 27, if any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands when they realize their guilt, meaning you realize, you recognize what happened. Yeah, you did it. Yes, you were a part of it. Yes, you looked the other way. Yes, you, okay. When they realize their guilt 
and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sin they committed a female goat without defects. In other words, when the people sinned and it became known, when it became aware, they could not just pretend that it didn't happen. They couldn't just say, oh, no, they couldn't, they couldn't ignore it. See, in order to enter into fellowship with a holy God, in order to be counted among his, his people, the sin had to be removed from their record. God was not okay with it just staying there. He wasn't okay. Right? And we're going to get into here with Jesus on the cross, but I want you to understand the context before and why he sends Jesus and all of that. But originally, when that sin, when you would commit that sin, you become aware of it, our God is holy. And he, that sin could not just be attached to you. And you could not be in fellowship with And it's just there, and you never deal with it. God had a system for you to deal with it. This, this here's the system. And so what he required is that you would bring a goat without defects. That meant no physical defects. It also included no spots. This was the requirement. Why? Why? Leviticus chapter 6, verses 24 and 25. This is this. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron and his sons. Who's Aaron and his sons? These are the Levitical priests. These are the ones that were responsible for handling um, the, the, the sin offerings in the presence of God, okay? Say to Aaron and his sons, these are the regulations for the sin offering, right? The sin, the right, the wrong thing we do. The sin offering is to be slaughtered before the Lord in the place the burnt offering is slaughtered. It is most holy. I'm going to show you a picture of where this is at and where, what this looks like to give you a visual here in, in just a moment. But he's asking that this would be an offering to the Lord to forgive what we've done, the wrong thing we've done. Okay, Leviticus chapter 17 now, verse 11. And there's, there's so much in between. And if you want to please read and get into all of this, but I'm giving you the pieces here so that you, to put it together for you. Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood. Right, this is why it is so important that we don't eat foods that have blood in them. Okay, you're going to see it right here. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonements for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement, someone say atonement, for one's life. Blood had to be spilt. You have the sin, you made the mistake, you became aware. You recognize that it's wrong. God's holy. You know that being with God is the most important thing because to be separated from God is like the worst feeling in the world. And so blood was spilled. This was what God required. And it was done by the priest on the altar, meaning people didn't even have direct access to God, only through the, only through the priest. Now, I want you to see this picture here to kind of give you a little bit of an idea. You see Solomon's temple, that, and then the temple is really built. Here's over here where the altar is, and this is where the sin offering was made. And then the priest would go, and then once a year, the priest would go inside, into the inner curtain, into the Holy of Holies, and the presence of God would be there. You read, get into the Old Testament. Some of this stuff is so beautiful. You, you really want to read it and, and understand it and 
and uh, it's, it's, it's so good. And so this is where the priest would go, and all of this would, would take place, and it, it would happen. There's a, there's a second picture. Show, show them the, the next picture. And so kind of gives you a, another idea, and there is this offering, and this would, would go to, to the Lord. Every time a person sinned, an offering had to be made. Blood had to be spilled. Okay, blood had to be spilled. Now, word atonement right someone say atonement atonement and and as you look at here at one at one moment when this blood is spilled there's this forgiveness that takes place the, the slate is wiped clean. You're forgiven. I want you to see this because this, 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 is, this is so important. But, and we're talking Old Testament. We're talking about God's system, the way God designed it. And we're going to get here. But blood had to be spilled. And when it was spilled, when the offering was received, when it was done the way that God asked for it to be done, it, it was done. The problem is that somebody would walk away forgiven, go down the road, sin again, and be back in the same problem again. Struggling, trying to go back and forth, trying to find their way. You see, what atonement means, it means to wipe out, to pardon, to purge, to forgive, to erase, to reconcile. There it is. To reconcile. Now, let me see here. Uh, okay. Let me come, come back to that. So we have uh, man plus sin equals separation. Hopefully you can read, but at least well, I'm reading it to you, right? Man plus uh, atonement. And then, and then how did I? Yeah. Reconciliation. Oh, did I blow that? Reconciliation. Yeah, I think that's close enough. And so... Oh, and I, I, I wanted to emphasize here, wall of sin. Man plus sin, which is, it creates this wall of sin, is equals separation. Man plus atonement equaled reconciliation, but the problem is they were going back and forth. They were going back and forth. There's your wall. There's you. Let me see. Yeah. 
there's God. And here's this wall. This, this is what sin will produce. It produces a barrier. God's holy. It cannot just, you did the wrong thing. You're aware, well, you know, I'm just going to keep going. It, 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 it just, it don't work that way. That's not God's system. The world will tell you, oh, it's fine. You could be Christian halfway in, halfway out. It's fine. And God's like, that's not how it works. So when offering comes, all of a sudden, the wall is removed. And then, and then, okay, let me just put you right here. In God's arms, in God's hands. Does this make sense? See, God made provision for atonement by his mercy, by his grace to unite humanity with themselves. Because God actually has a desire to be in relationship with us. But blood was the payment required to atone for sin. It had to be spilt. There's only one way to our Heavenly Father. Holy requires blood payments in order for reconciliation to take place. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, it says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's just, there's just no forgiveness. No forgiveness means no reconciliation, no relationship restored. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says this. He is so rich in kindness, him, towards us. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son to forgive our sins. Right, some of these things are like, okay, that's, that's the gospel. But I, I want you to understand how big of a deal this is and how God has had this system and what he's done in sending his son. There was a reason why. There was a whole lot of history on why he sent his son so that you could be restored with him so that you can have access to holy so that one day you're not on the wrong side of the chasm wishing you were over there. Do you understand? It's a matter of life and death. There are those who have a luggage-packed first-class ticket and they don't even know where they're going. But he left some people to mission. That's us. We're not going to say, oh, yeah, that other church, they'll do it. No, that's on, that's on us. Those other Christians, they'll get it. Nope. That's, that's us. Because the good news is that there is still time while we have breath. And when Jesus says he is the truth, the life, and the way, 
This is what he means. You see, the rich man and the poor man, they both had first breaths and they, all, they both had last breaths. And like the rest of humanity, they will stand in a chasm across from each other, some in hell and some in heaven, forever being unable to cross over. Just what are we going to do about it? You know, I told you the brother in the hospital, you know, I talked to him while he was conscious and he only had so much, like 36 hours to go. And I got to share Christ with him. Fellas, the way we've been learning with that anointing oil, it's a new year. Please take your anointing oil out and go anoint your homes the way we've been practicing, fellas. I took out the anointing oil. And I explained to him what it is. And I showed it to him. And um, I just, I took it over to him. And I, you know, I, I anointed his, his head. There was something that changed in him that was one of the most beautiful things I've seen. We began to pray, and I asked him, do you believe that Jesus is the only way? He said, yes. I said, do, are you willing to denounce this other idea of coexist? He said, yes. I began to pray over him, and it's like the Holy Spirit came over him. I saw a glow, a shine in his face, this brightness, his face, he just cried. And it was so, so beautiful. I felt like I just, I was like, God, I'm in your presence right now in this room. And this man made this genuine change. It wasn't a religious act. Something in him came alive. And it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. He needed to hear the gospel. He received the gospel. And right now, he's got no more pain. hanging out with Jesus and just like the story of this parable he's wondering can we be warned can his loved ones be warned here's my challenge part one of our series today it's a matter of life and death first Commit to praying for those you know who are lost by name. Pray for them by name. And commit to pray for those you don't know who are lost in general. Just begin to pray for folks. Let it be a part of your prayer. You pray, just begin to pray. Father, I can think of this person and this person. Name them. Name them by name and pray for them. Pray for them by name and pray for everyone else in general. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. God is going to hear your prayer. There is something that God is doing. I can't tell you the message of the church down the street. I can't tell you what God is speaking to them. I can tell you what God is telling us. Secondly, 
including your prayer. Father, I know it's a matter of life and death. May they come to know your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness in Jesus. And if possible, use me to share your message with them in Jesus' name. Amen. That's my challenge for you this week. As we get into this, God is about to do some amazing things. You're going to see people cross over from one place to the other. There's no way. You think, oh, there's no way that person would ever change. Watch. Because this is the word that God has given us now. This is what he has for us now. So pray and believe. Believe. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for that it's alive. Thank you, God, that this is what you are putting on our table. God, this is what you're feeding and teaching us now. God, this is what you want us to understand. God, we receive it into our heart, our mind, our life. God, we receive it, God, with two hands, God. Thank you for what you're doing in us, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would give us a heart for the lost. God, you would give us a heart, God. We know those, those names, those family members, those neighbors, those coworkers, those students, those classmates. God, we, God, you know them, Father, in Jesus' name. May they come to know your mercy, your grace, your love, your forgiveness. And we pray, God, for everyone out there in general. May they come to know you, Father. And if possible, Lord, use us. If you're looking for anyone, God, use us. Our hands are up. Our hearts are up, God. How? What are we going to say? How are we going to do it? God, use us. We're going to trust God. You're going to give us the words in the moments. You're going to give us the divine moment where it's just going to work out. And it's going to be the, the seed. It's going to be the moment. It's going to be the change. It's going to be the growth. It's, it's going to be the acceptance of who you are. It's going to be a moment of salvation. 